0: I don't know if you've uh, heard the story of um, a, a guy who who passed his driving test, and he was just trying to get some confidence up, and he thought he was going to just drive to Glasgow on the motorway, get a bit of motorway experience, and so he kissed his girlfriend goodbye, and off he went, jumped in the car. Anyway, his, his girlfriend went to work, and she just checked BBC News sort of later that morning, and she, she heard about this horrendous, horrendous incident that had been happening on the M8, that some lunatic was driving on the wrong side of the carriageway. And so in anxiety, she, she rang up her boyfriend. She says, look, I just need to warn you, there's a lunatic out there who is on the wrong side of the road. Just be careful, okay? And this guy with horns beeping in the background, he says, I tell you, it's worse than you think. Everybody is on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> I, don't if, uh, I don't know if you ever feel like you're on the wrong side of the road. There's a verse in Romans 12 that says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is, when we're part of God's kingdom, sometimes we find ourselves gutting against the grain of what culture teaches us. Perhaps today, you're new to Christianity and you're having to learn who Jesus is, that he's the saviour of the world and the Lord of your life. But here's something that we've been learning about last week and also this week, that God wants us to think differently about what he wants to do through us. Last week, we looked at having this multiplication mindset. We looked at this idea of him wanting us to be intentionally invitational and also to be deliberately diverse in the way we think and the kind of people that we reach out to. And I want to carry on that message this week. So if you missed last week, you can download it off the website. But this is the idea I want to talk about today as we look in Acts chapter 13, that God wants every one of us to be engaged in this wonderful thing called building his church, which is going to be the thing that he uses to communicate the good news of Jesus to the entire world. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 13, just a short few verses, one to three, and it'll appear on the screen behind me. Now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. It starts off with this phrase, Now in the church at Antioch, Last week when we were looking at the verses in chapter 11, it wasn't really a church at that point, it was just a group of believers who'd gone to a new place, they were refugees fleeing from their livelihoods, freeing from persecution, and they just didn't have anything except Jesus, and they told everybody they could find about Jesus. And it says, many, many people came to the Lord. That's what God wants to do in Edinburgh, he wants to bring many, many people to know the Lord. That's the most wonderful thing that can ever happen, for people to come to know Jesus, And it says twice in chapter 11, a large number of people. And this became what's known as a church. So we read about it in in verse 1 there, the church at Antioch. And we find that there were leaders, and you find that there were people, and there were gifts. And it became the, the, the point from which all of Christianity would then spread. Now, we live in an age of rampant individualism. We live in an age where the rights, the value, the worth of the individual is trumpeted above all other values. Now, it's true that in Psalm 139, for example, God loves the individual. God loves you. It says, uh, Psalm 139 says, He knit you together in your mother's womb. Isn't that an amazing thought? That the God of heaven knew all about you even before you could say mum or dad. He knows you inside. He knows the number of hairs on your head which for some of us is more than others. You know, the Apostle Paul, after he became a Christian, he described it this way in Galatians 2. He said, I have faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's, that's what it feels like to be a Christian. It's almost like, I, I don't know if anybody in the else, else in the world gets this, just how much God loves me. It's amazing. It's so personal. But individual, uh, God loving the individual must never become individualistic. And, I believe God wants us to rediscover something of the beauty of this thing called the church where he puts diverse individuals together for his glory. There's something beautiful about your life. but How many of you like physics here? Yeah, I knew this was a bad example to choose. Uh, I'm not not about physics, but but I thought this was just a beautiful illustration. You, You know a pendulum? They swing like that, don't they? Yeah, you got it? That's you. But do you know when you put pendulums together? I just want you to look at the flow of an individual pendulum and then the beauty when you put them together. When you see one ball going from side to side, it's just doing its thing in complete mundanity. But do you know when God puts people together in this thing called the church, remarkable things happen. God wants to wake us up today to the potential and power of his church living in community together. Are you ready for that? You're still being persuaded, aren't you? I can tell that this morning. I think you're just kind of hypnotised by that video, aren't you? It's just amazing. I could watch that all day. In fact, I've spent whole days watching that video. It's amazing. Um, It says, how many of you here like cross-stitch? Yeah, the illustrations today are poor, aren't they? Okay, right. You know, the top of a cross-stitch, but please put the the photo up. Right, Right. this is a cross-stitch of a highland cow. It's beautiful. You know, when you look at the top of a cross stitch, it's always beautiful. In fact, this is what God says about his church. He says, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what God says about his church. Angels and demons look at the church and say, wow, it's amazing, the wisdom of God on display for everybody to see. Do you know what it looks like sometimes from an earthly perspective? Let's have the next slide. It's the underside of the cross stitch. It's the backside. It looks a bit messy sometimes. And you find the church in Antioch looked a little bit messy. Persecution broke out against the church. People scattered. Things not going well as well as you think they might. But this is the glory of the church. God wants to see it from his perspective, not just from an earthly perspective. So, I want to ask the question today: What does it look like to be a church where everyone is engaged? You, me, all of us. And I want to suggest that we need to find our fit. F I T. We're going to have an acronym today (laughs) because you loved that last week. Um, So here's: if we want to be, if we want Kings to be a church that impacts the world just as Antioch did, then we need to be a church that gets. A good understanding of these three characteristics that we're going to talk about that we see emulated in the life of their church and we do well to ask God for as well. Here's the first one. Are you ready? Okay, it feels like family. Say family. family. Brilliant. Now, this church in Antioch, as we've said, was founded by unnamed people. There were no big names in the original crowd who 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 won large numbers of people to come to know Jesus but it became a very large, vibrant church. And by large, I mean, in the early Acts, it says there was a church of thousands in Jerusalem. So when they're they're talking large, they're probably talking thousands. We don't know the exact number. Yet here's my observation. When I read these verses that we read today, that it seemed to keep this highly, highly relational family feel to it. Why do I think that? Because it doesn't list off a hierarchy of leaders at the start. It doesn't say, in the church in Antioch, there was a senior pastor, an associate pastor, some elders and some deacons. That's kind of how you might read it in, 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 some, sens- in some senses. No, it just just reels off a list of names. Well, there was Barnabas, there was Saul, there was Simeon, there was Lucius, there was Menaean. These are just people that Luke, as he wrote it, he said, you know these guys, Leaders weren't some distant characters. They were people that everybody knew. It had a strong family feel to it. Who were some of these people? Well, Barnabas, we don't know loads about them. Barnabas, he was a guy who sold a field in Jerusalem and gave the money to the poor. And it got him in the Bible. That's as much as we know about him, really. Saul, he was the guy who hated the church but now loved the church. And he was now the pastor of this church, or one of the pastors of this church. And uh, there's another guy, Manaean. We don't know who he is, except Luke points out he was, the, uh, he, he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. I think that's Luke's shorthand for saying he was the posh kid. Right? <laughs> every church has posh kids, doesn't it? Every small group, probably every small group in Edinburgh has several posh kids in it. I don't know. But here it is in the family of God, none of this matters. And people can call a spade a spade. And he could say, you know what, that's where I was brought up. And nobody thought less of him or more of him because of that, because it was just family. Lucius, uh, he is from Cyrene, and he appears in Romans 16 in in Corinth when Paul's writing to, to them, and then Simeon, which it's thought that this quite possibly could be Simeon or Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross of Jesus to his crucifixion when Jesus was too weak to carry his own cross. Why do we think that? Because in Mark chapter 15, verse 21, when Mark... Uh, is talking about Simon of Cyrene carrying the cross of Jesus. He says, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus. So when Mark's writing his gospel for early Christians, he says, oh, Simon, he's he's the dad of Alexander and Rufus. You know those guys? Because they're known to the early church. They're in the church. They're Christians. At the end of Romans 16, Paul writes a message, a personal message to Rufus and his mum. Here's the cool thought. That Simon, his wife, and his two children, through that encounter with Jesus on the road to Calvary, all became Christians. And here they are, now spread out across the Roman Empire in different churches and doing their bit to serve him and love him and bring others to know him. Do you get the sense it's a family? It's a family. Here's what I've experienced about every church I've ever belonged to: and it's a mixture of people who were brought up in the locality and people who have been brought from other parts of the world and places to be part of that family. And every church is a mix of those things. And we want kings to be a big, big, big family. I remember when I was first a Christian. uh, I became a Christian when I was 15 years old. And I, um, that was at school, and my school teacher who helped me become a Christian, he said, you need to find a church, Dan. So I I tried out a church. I looked up some churches and I found one that had decent uh, recommendations And I went along and here was the funny thing, it was a great church, it was about 30 people, it was full of the spirit, it was good worship, the preaching was excellent, I really, really liked it. And I just sat there and then nobody talked to me. I thought, well that's strange, maybe maybe it was a funny week or something, so I went back the next week and, and I got a couple of smiles and a couple of nods, but nobody came and talked to me. Nobody said, hey, let's get you stuck in here. Let's get you involved. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not one to give up easily. So I just kept going back week after week after week, and nothing ever changed. Nobody invited me into the family. So I thought, well, maybe this isn't the right church. So I went along to another church, and I sat on the back row of the back pew in the church. Within 30 seconds, this middle-aged, round guy with a massive moustache, had bounded over to me. And he said, hi, I'm Ray. What's your name? And uh, I said, well, I'm Dan. He says, says, Dan, do you mind if I ask how old you are? And I said, yeah, I'm 15. And he said, this is great news. I said, oh, really? He said, because I'm the youth leader. Ray was the least likely looking youth leader I had ever seen. He had no tattoos, no baseball cap, no, nothing that would give the game away, that this was his good. But he was a shift worker in a factory in Worthing. But here's his story, that he'd become a Christian a couple of years earlier, and he and his family had all become Christians. And here he was now, and he was like, God's given me a heart for young people. So anyway, he called over somebody, he says, Jamie, come here. And this other boy comes over, he says, this is Jamie, my son, he's 15 as well, you guys are going to be friends. And we both looked awkwardly at others and said, yeah, right. <laughs> and yeah, but we were. We did become friends because Ray said it would be so. You know, some of us, we just need a little bit of leadership in our lives where people help us to make the connections we really need to make. And Ray did that with remarkable heart and capacity. Anyway, he said, he said Dan, he says, you can... Uh, so we've got, uh, we've got youth fellowship after church tonight, Sunday evening. So come for coffee back at our house. We've got the youth meeting on Wednesday night. We've got the youth social on Friday night. And on Thursday night, there's a youth drama group that you can join as well. And you know what? I did all of it. Because I was falling in love with this thing called the family of God. And I just couldn't get enough of people. And it set me up for my whole Christian life. I wonder if you are in love with the family of God today, and expanding that family, and wanting it to grow, and to bring others into that family. A little while later, he discovered that I played the guitar, and he said, "Dan, he said, I'd like you to lead worship next week at our, our sort of uh, youth group meeting." And I played my guitar, and I had this old crummy guitar, and the worship it went quite well. And uh, afterwards, he he went and got a guitar from another room, and he said, he said. This is a much better guitar. I think you should have it. because I want you to lead worship. And I thought, this is amazing. This is what church family looks like. It's not about who's who, and it's not about titles. It's about being family together. And Kings has been a family like that for many years. Uh, some of us moved up from Newcastle to Edinburgh 18 years ago to help start this church in just the living room as we talked about last week. But, you know, Since then, we've sent people out all over the world. We've got Daniel Duggan here today who went out to Vancouver four years ago, helped planting a church out there. We sent uh, Tom and Tinica to Holland to, to help lead a church in, in The Hague in Holland We sent a whole group to the next door town of Livingston just a couple of years ago because we're looking to populate the entire world with the family of God as far as it depends on us. Today I want to invite you into the family of God. I want to invite you into this family. If you're here for the first time, I know you've heard it said a hundred times already, we are so glad you're here and we would love to personally connect you into a small group. You know, bigger churches need more organisation, not much more, but they need enough so that things work properly, we organise our church into small groups so that within our church family we can have little mini-families represented in different houses during the week where people can do life together and discover family together. Let me invite you into that. Okay, that was F. What was F? Family, Family. that's right. Okay, Uh, here's the I, impacted by the word and the spirit. So in verse 1 again we read, Now in the church Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Two generic types of gifts that were there present in the early church. Teachers, people who loved the Bible and teaching the Bible, teaching the scriptures. And prophets who carry the heart of God and speak that sense of the now. This is what God is saying in the moment, right now. And that church in Antioch was a vibrant, church with an ability to multiply because it had both of those things present right in its core. There's a guy called Rick Warren, who is a remarkable Bible teacher in America. And I remember this, this phrase he said once, which struck with me, because I I sort of like teaching and have a teaching gift. And he says, he says, he says, how some people can take the most remarkable book in the world and bore people to tears with it is a mystery to me. That's the cry of every teacher because they say, don't do this to us. Don't, do, don't take something that's so good and so life-giving and make it boring. Do you know what the cry of the prophet is? It's to say, don't let us ever have a church meeting where we just read the Bible and sing songs. We need the presence of God among us at every moment. We need God to be speaking. We need the word of God to be present and active. We need the sick to be healed. We need the word of God to be preached, but we also need signs following. We want to be a church that does both of those things well, like they did. We want to be a church that loves the word, but loves the spirit, being filled with him, led by him, sent by him, empowered by him. Now we all have our bias probably to one of those extremes and sadly some churches go all out one way or the other. Let's be both of those things if we want to be a healthy, reproducing church. Okay, that was I, impacted. That was a short one, wasn't it? Okay, impacted by word and spirit. Here's the third one which I want to take a bit more time on. Training training everyone for ministry. Say training. Training. I didn't get you to say impacted, did I? (laughs) Impacted. Okay, and training others. There we go. So, healthy churches. The Antioch church. It got good at releasing ministry, and we in this story we read. It was about releasing Paul and Barnabas for the work God had carried to them. I want to suggest it goes so much deeper than that. And if you were to ask yourself the question, well, what are apostles and prophets and teachers anyway? He says, there were prophets and teachers. What what did they do all day long? Were they just preaching messages all day long? Is that all that these guys did? Sometimes people say to me, What do you do for the rest of the week, Dan? You know, do you just preach on a Sunday and then just say the rest of the week? There's so much more to leadership than just preaching messages. And if you look in Ephesians chapter 4, you find out what God has really called those gifts to do beyond just articulating that in public. It says, So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service or ministry, you could call that. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let's think about this for a moment. So, if if you were to pop into the church in Antioch and just sit on the back row and you plonk yourself down next to somebody who's a member of that church and you just get talking to them just like you did a moment ago, if you were to ask them the question, so, who are the leaders here? They'd reel off that list of names that we read. And they'd say, oh, yeah, well, it's Barnabas. And, and they'd probably say something like, well, at the moment, it's these people, because it was highly dynamic, changing all of the time, as we read. But the, these are the people that God's called to lead at the moment. If you ask them the question, so who does the stuff here? Who does the healing the sick? Who does the prayer ministry? Who does some of the teaching? Who does some of the prophesying? They would look at you, strangely, and they'd say, well, We do. We do. Because the job of the prophets and the teachers in Antioch wasn't to do everything themselves. It was to equip the church to do all the works of ministry that God had ordained for that church to do. If we want to be a multiplying church, we want to be a church that gets good at equipping all of us into the gifts that God has for us. Amen? So, here's a thought for you. God has given you some gifts, and he's given me some gifts. And in the church, he's ordained it so that no one person has all the gifts. So, that means, when you think about it, that everybody in this room is better and more gifted in at least at least one thing more than I am. Probably several more things. And that helps us to be a family together because we understand that I don't always get it right and nor do you we live in humility with one another because we understand that other gifts are sometimes more valuable than ours or we defer to one another's gifting it also means that I don't have to be the answer to every, every, every issue that goes on in King's Church and nor do you we never want King's to be a place where people feel like oh, it's got to be me all the time Nobody else volunteers around here because the way God's ordained it is for the whole body to take the strain. But let me talk for a few minutes about finding your gifts because it strikes me that's where we need to land this message today so that you and I can be confident that we know what our gifts are and how we can operate in them. And it's a DO, it's a do, it's a discovery and opportunity process. I think when I read the Bible, there's three barriers to people discovering and moving in their gifts. These are them, ignorance, apathy, and discouragement. And all of us in this room will have probably experienced those at some point. If you're not right now, here's the answers to those three things. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, don't be ignorant about spiritual gifts. That means you can learn about them. And he does. He teaches them. In 1 Corinthians 12, he goes through a whole list of gifts. We don't have time to do a whole Bible study, but you can do this on on your small group night if you like. So 1 Corinthians 12, here's a list of gifts that Paul gives. Here's another one. There you go. There's another one. 1 Corinthians 12, two lists of gifts. Here's a third one. We just read that one earlier. Here's a fourth one. Romans 12. And... uh, What what everybody says is none of these gifts is complete or exhaustive. This is to say these are generic descriptions of the kind of gifts God gives his church. And there's a few others as well, which there's even things like singleness and marriage and all of our speaking and all of our serving is to do with the gifts that God has given us for the seasons of life that we are in. So here's the good news. We can study the Bible and we can discover more about the gifts that God has given us. Here's three questions that you can ask if you're wanting to discover your gifts. What has God called me to? What do others say that I'm gifted in? And here's a third, an important question. What do I really, really love doing? Because what you find is there's usually a massive overlap between the things that we love and the things that God's given us grace for. So I find when I'm operating in a sphere of service that God has given me, I find that really enjoyable and exhilarating. When I'm operating in an area which God hasn't given me a gift before, I find it draining and tiring and discouraging. Talk about those things in your groups this week. Apathy is the second barrier because Romans 12 verse 1, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the context of spiritual gifts, he then goes, to, he says there's an urgency about this. 1 Timothy 1, Paul reminds Timothy, he says, I remind you to fan into flame the gifts God has given you. Unless we do something, we tend to move backwards. Unless we fan it into flame, we must beware of passivity. This is the story of everybody, somebody, anybody and nobody. There was an important job to do and everybody was asked to do it. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry because it was everybody's job and everybody thought anybody would do it, but nobody realized that anybody wouldn't do it. And it ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think you do. Right, okay. Stir up your gifts. Don't rely on others. Make sure that you step into the grace gifts God has for you. His third one, discouragement. Never, never give up. The enemy would have us give up because when we step out in areas of growth gifting, we will face discouragements and we need to push through those things. I was chatting to my son, uh, Sam. He'd played a rugby game a couple of weeks ago. And he was playing Merkiston School, who are like remarkably good at rugby. They have players who go on to play for Scotland and everything. Anyway, so Sam went into this match, and, and he, uh, he knew it was going to be painful. And he got home, and I, was, I said, so how did it go, Sam? And he said, yeah. He said, we lost. I said, what was the score? He said, 93-0. <laughs> I said, oh. But, but Sam, he, I mean, he's 14, he's remarkably resilient, and uh, he, he didn't seem defeated by this at all. I said, so what? I said, was it was okay? He said, he said, yeah, there was a couple of positives. <laughs> I said, all right. He said, uh, he said, I mean, firstly, he says, I know of other teams where, where they managed to get 100 past them, so I felt like we held out on them more <laughs> than others. And he said, there were no substitutes on our side, so I had to play the whole game. He said, and one guy got really badly tackled on that team and he was throwing up on the pitch, he said, but he wasn't allowed to be subbed. He said, we just played on. And for Sam, this is like, we just go, go, go. I want to encourage you to be like Sam, to be honest, when it comes to spiritual gifts, to, to just don't take discouragement, but to keep, keep moving forward. Never give up. Family impacted by the Spirit, training and releasing everybody let me uh, conclude this morning just by because some of you are saying well how can, I, how can I step into these things at Kings perhaps you're new here perhaps you've been here a while and you're thinking I'd love a new stretch a new challenge to see where my gifts lie and here's a few things and I don't want this to sound like another load of notices but uh, here, here's some things that you might feel like a stirring of faith as I just talk about them here's one thing We've just re-energised our remarkable children's ministry, King's Kids. Rachel Fleming and her team are determined to change hundreds and hundreds of young lives for Jesus over this next couple of years. Do you want to be part of that team? And you can be good with kids, you can be good with administration, you can be good at kids' worship. We need to build that team very much. This would be an excellent opportunity for anybody here. Of course, there's checks and everything you need to go through to be part of that team, but you could volunteer to go through that process. Here's another one. If you feel God's called you to teach, I want to encourage you to do this thing called POD, Paths of Disciples, which is a short course where you can learn to teach others about the very simple basics of the Christian faith and bring them onto a good foundation. It's a really, really excellent way to grow in the gift of teaching. Here's something else that we would love to see happen more and more over this next couple of years. We'd love to see a doubling of our number of small groups across our city because we want to be a church for all of Edinburgh. And here's the honest truth. We can't train and release leaders quick enough to do this job. We would love to be able to, to, to get hold of many of you and encourage you and train you and equip you. We've got a course to take people through on small group leading. If you'd like to think about that or or find out if that's right for you, talk to your small group leader and they will be glad to help you with that. Here's some other ministries that we do, just caring for people in our local community. We run, uh, for a number of nights of the year, we run the the care shelter uh, with Bethany Christian Trust uh, at their location in, in Stenhouse Here's some dates when we've said we're going to take charge of all the cooking. Last year, they uh, looked after 700 people over the course of a year, giving them a bed for the night and giving them a meal. Some of the most vulnerable people in our city during the winter months. Perhaps you could be part of serving them on behalf of this community here. Feel free to take a photo of those dates. Talk to Viv. Or any of this, you can email the church office as well, and we can put you in touch with the right people. We'll speak speak to somebody on the Connect desk. The email address is info at kingschurchedinburgh.org. Is that right? Great. Um, uh, You you could serve in our our youth cafe on a Friday afternoon, Hub 104. You could serve on our TOTS team on a Wednesday morning, reaching out mums in the community on a Wednesday morning. You could serve in our Evergreen cafe, which is for elderly people once a month, combating isolation and loneliness. There are many, many things you could do. On top of all of that, you could join one of our Sunday serving teams right here. It takes about 50 people, I think, to to make a Sunday morning work here at King's. And you could join in any of these areas. There's something here for everyone. And you will begin to discover the grace gifting that God has in you. And here's just a thought. You could, if you want to be trained and developed more, you could say to somebody who leads one of those teams, he could say, you know what, I'd love to be developed and trained more so I could take more responsibility here. And they would be very, very happy to hear those words. You know, all of this is about Jesus. It's all about his kingdom, it's all about his church, it's all ultimately about his glory. There's a there's a verse that, uh, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12, that says, It's a funny verse to introduce what is one of the great chapters on spiritual gifts. It says, um, it says, nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. But you know, it's such a brilliant way to introduce the idea of what are our spiritual gifts because what it's saying is this, everything we do, everything we say, every gift we have, whether we're a leader or a volunteer or anybody else, this is all about Jesus at the end of the day and his lordship in our lives. So let's respond today, let's give him our hearts, let's give him glory, let's make it about him as we seek to see this church multiply and grow.